Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us today on Coding with Christine Hall. We had a little bit of a break for spring break, right? And I am joined today by my good friend, Kim Huey, and we're going to talk to you about HiCD10. Um, before we get started, I have to tell you it's National Burrito Day. So I know what we're having for dinner at our house tonight. <laughs> <laughs> It's also National Parkinson's Month, and you know it's it's a great thing because Kim and I are going to be talking a little bit about mental health and the nervous disorders. So it's going to play in real nice. So thanks for being here today, Kim. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Christine. I look forward to chatting with you whenever we can. And you know, coding's kind of my passion. So, <laughs> you know. so absolutely. So you know, just to give a a, a, a catch up for those that maybe haven't been with us for a while or new to us. Um, this season, we're going over the ICD-10 guidelines. And, you know, I, I preach a lot that the answer to diagnosis coding really rely on these guidelines. Mm -hmm. And but they read like furniture assembly instructions. Have you ever been to Ikea? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. ever put something from Ikea together? My husband's no. in there right now assembling new lawn furniture. And, okay. You know, and, yeah. So. so then he knows, he knows uh -huh. exactly yeah. what's going on. Right. Yeah. And the guidelines, yeah. they remind me of that. You're like, wait a minute, A and B, and then B, wait a minute, B and A, which one goes first? Mm -hmm. I'm not real sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of rolls right into why I thought it would be nice if we could break down some of these chapters, just the things that are important or you know, explaining some of that guidance in real talk, in real language, like we mm -hmm. talk, you know? Exactly, exactly. And just the fact that, you know, I've still run across people who don't realize we have guidelines. <gasps> what are they, you know, really? Um, and and then there, the fact that, you know, most of, so many people have gotten away from using a book, and you heard me say this before, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah, encoders are awesome, they're wonderful, and they'll have the guidelines built in there if you look for them. But also, if you got a book, hey, they're in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, my favorite thing, my what I prefer to do is just download them from the CDC website, have mm -hmm. them, and then they're PDF searchable. Um, but just to know they're there, I think, is a big step for a lot of people. I like knowing the rules. It makes my life easier mm -hmm. than having to guess. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my thing there. Now, Kim, have you heard that some of the credentialing organizations may are considering using ebooks for their testing as opposed I, to the book. I, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering how that's going to work. Um, I'm kind of a logistical person. I can't, I can't figure out how that's going to work. I can see the benefit of it, but mm -hmm. you know, you're probably like me, um, carrying around, you know, 40 pounds of books versus carrying around the laptop absolutely is easier. Um, but I, I still do a lot of hands-on, heads-down coding, um, not just consulting, but I do some coding. And there are times when that encoder won't do it. I just have to grab my book out of this cabinet up here where it stays <laughs> and, and, and pull it out because I can get there. Yeah. Um, there are quite a few times when I can't get there in the encoder because I've not input the right word. But if I go to my ICD-10 book and, you know, and, and I used to, I'll tell you the story. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I used to have this joke that when I was teaching coding, if I caught you going, if I caught you coding from the index <laughs> and not using, going to the tabular and using the guidelines, I had a butcher knife in my briefcase and I would cut your fingers off. 
See, well, I make I, mine do a, a swear, put your hand on your heart and your other hand up and swear to me that you will never code from the index, mm -hmm. right? So that way I can sleep well at night knowing that you've all pledged to me forever. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I said this hundreds of times, probably hundreds of times, but I did it one time at the Gainesville, Georgia at APC chapter. And the president of the chapter raised her hand and waved. She was missing two fingers. Oh, oh Kim. <laughs> She laughed. She thought it was hilarious, but I don't tell that story anymore unless I tell the whole story right. um, because it was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I bet she had a laugh, though. I she, bet. <laughs> yeah, she thought it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, so. Oh, my gosh. Well, now I'm going to take that a little more seriously about those. Uh, but, you know, the truth is, is I really feel that um, between now. I feel that first of all, I'm never going to memorize the guidelines. I, I read them every single year. Um, and, and if they have a, a change mid year, like we had a change again this year in April 1st, um, I'll read them again because I leave breadcrumbs in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to remember word for word what it said. I'm too old. There's not enough space in there. Um, I know all the lyrics to like uh, my favorite rock star song, mm -hmm. but I don't mm -hmm. know all of the, but I know enough. I have my breadcrumbs in my mind to mm -hmm. remind me that, oh, there's something about hypertension or, oh, there's something about um, sepsis. Oh, I never right. touch sepsis without my right. Exactly. Exactly. And talking about these chapters, I do a lot of work in the pain management space. I've had the fortune or unfortunate, whatever, misfortune of working on um, audit defense for a couple of pain management, huge pain management audits. I mean, like federal, um, um, false claims act. Um, mm -hmm. one of them was like $8 million. So, um, we've had to prove some diagnosis coding issues. And so I'm always, you know, let's go see. And, you know, why do you, why can't you just throw out that G89.4? Cause it's not, maybe not be G89.4 mm -hmm. and some of those things. Um, and, and, you know, that make, brings me to the idea that we throw those on there without knowing what we're throwing on there, you know, without knowing what it requires. And we can't without reading the guidelines and understanding those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this year we had a large amount of diagnosis codes that were added to chapter five, the mental mm -hmm. health and substance right. use disorders. So 82 new codes, three revisions, four converted codes. Um, and so that's a lot, it, but it really was surrounding dementia. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, you know, P Parkinson's month, thanks for, for mm -hmm. sharing that with me. Dementia needing to understand where did the dementia come from? Right. And exactly. what is it doing? What manifestations do we see and what's the severity of it so that we can start seeing either a progression mm -hmm. or maybe a regression if right. things are working the way that they're supposed to. And uh, it really broadened that category out of, of how to report dementia. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I really, really thought that was very interesting. Well, and a lot of that, um, you know, what, what does it matter what we call it? Well, well what matters is how we treat it. Um, and and is, is it still treatable? Those kind of things. So I have a couple of just, so, you know, and you've heard me say this before, my family makes just such darn good coding examples. Um, but my sweet little mother had Parkinson's dementia. Oh. Um, 
before that, I did not know that dementia went with Parkinson's so strongly. Mm -hmm. um, 50% of Parkinson's patients will experience hallucinations. I really wish they'd told us that before we experienced it um, oh. so that we could have been prepared. Um, and then, you know, I think sometimes there's assumption that any time an elderly patient, elderly person um, loses their memory or talks kind of crazy, that it's dementia. We also, and, and, you know, my husband wouldn't mind me sharing this. We just walked through this with his mother. Mm -hmm. We assumed it was dementia and we were all ready to be a, be a coder. I was going to slap that 403.90 on there. <laughs> and when the neurologist saw her, that's not what it was. It was, you know, she'd had some strokes and that was kind of the, it was a cognitive effect from the strokes, which is not the same. Wow. Yes. And the treatment mm -hmm. is not the same. Yes. Um, so we, I think, it's easy sometimes as a coding professional or kind of if we're on the, the business end of it to think, oh, that, that number's going to get it paid. But that's not telling the patients complete and accurate story. That's true. That's true. And you just hit something on the head, Kim. You know, as coders, sometimes we know enough to be dangerous because it assists us in our job. However, we have to remember that we're not clinical people. Mm -hmm. um, and not, not to say that there aren't coders out there that come from a clinical background, but the the um, the profession of coding itself mm -hmm. doesn't require us to have that clinical knowledge. We're only to follow the guidelines that have been set in front of us. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that you'd said during when, before we got on was, you know, understanding those key words because they make a difference in what we're doing, but by no means do understanding the keywords, the clinical keywords, does that give us that wiggle room? We still need to, from a coding perspective, stay in our lane, right. so exactly. to say. Exactly. And that's what the guidelines help us do, is they help us stay in our lane and, and to understand what codes we should be reporting. Um, one of the ones that always makes me laugh is the use, abuse, and dependence mm -hmm. when it, in mental health uh, and substance use disorders there. Right. So when do I use the use, abuse, and dependence? And, it, and that's not even something that I need to figure out mm -hmm. because the guidelines do such a great job of saying, hey, if it's use and dependence, it's dependence. If it's mm -hmm. use and abuse, it's abuse. If it's, you know, they, they give you that no brainer how mm -hmm. to assign those codes out. So important for us to know where to go to look for those answers. Right. Yeah. To go to the guidelines and then think about what we're doing. Think about the story we're telling. And I keep coming back to that. What story are we telling about that patient? I in speaking about like the pain management space and kind of that correlation between the F's and the G's there. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing cases where the patient is on long term use of an opioid for a pain problem. Mm -hmm. That is not a use of use of dependence. And so oh sometimes, gosh. yeah, sometimes the physician, even the wording that, that if we just pulled out that phrase and not looked at the whole context of it, that's, so I have a, a friend and uh, we go to Bible study together and our big thing is we can't just pull a verse out of context. We can't just pull <laughs> words out of context in that right. because the physician may say uh, opioid use. That does not mean it falls in the F codes. Um, you know, we look at the context. Why are we using it? What, what are we treating the patient for? Are we using this opioid to treat their pain? Then it's not going to be an F code. Right. Um, what are you I saying about that? This. Yeah, I just I just had this in this audit that I was doing when and they were using um, the, the patient was taking something to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, then that's a dependence on a sedative. 
No, because the doctor didn't tell me that they were going to have any withdrawals if they went off of it. They didn't mm -hmm. say that they were misusing it. They said that the patient was using the medication as prescribed and getting the desired result of the medication. Right. If there was, if there were something, if the patient discontinues this medication, this is the problems that they might have. They didn't say anything mm -hmm. about that. Right. They just said they've been on it. They've been doing great with this sleep aid um, for the last however long. Mm -hmm. So understanding that the doctor may come to us and say, oh, but if she stops taking in that, I always have to go back and say, doc, but you didn't say that in your note. And, and right. unfortunately, there are no neurosurgeons out there processing medical claims. It's exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, think about all the coffee drinkers. Think about all the coffee drinkers in, in our area. I don't drink coffee, but, you know, are we all of a sudden going to say, oh, they're addicted to caffeine. We're going to give them that F code, you know? Yeah. Um, but I've seen that happen when, um, so I was working in risk adjustment back in 2017. And I saw a lot of that. I saw mm -hmm. a lot of caffeine users. If they drank more than three cups of coffee per day, you put them down as an, as a dependence, but Who's to say that they could just stop drinking coffee tomorrow? Mm -hmm. They might have a headache today and then tomorrow they're fine. That's, yeah. that's the end of it. Where's the dependence there? Where's the better yet? Where is the, the clinical indication that that dependence is something we're going to have to deal with? I always right. look at diagnosis codes as what are you doing about it? Mm -hmm. So if it is a caffeine dependence, then you as the provider, what are you doing about it? Right. And if you're not, because it's not something that you would do something about, then how do you justify the diagnosis that you're taking responsibility for? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, what are we saying about that? Are, are, you know, what I'm finding, and, and you may have seen this too, because you mentioned, you know, Humana and some of the other payers you've dealt with, and I'm not picking on Humana yeah, no. by any means, but we will run across where someone has said, well, if they smoke three cigarettes a day, it's this. If they smoke, if they do this, or if they quit smoking a year ago, it's this. That's not in the guidelines. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we run across in the guidelines or, or, or we don't have a AHA coding clinic or we don't, mm -hmm. we don't have something that tells us to do that. Who made up that rule? Right. And, and I always tell folks, um, you need to be able to defend this and saying that Kim Huey told me or Christine Hall told me to do it. That's not going to help you. No, when, you're right. sitting, <laughs> when you're sitting across the table from a Medicare auditor, you need to know why you said that now. Right. And, and, and I, you've probably had this experience, too, but I've been to I've testified at ALJ hearings mm -hmm. and yep. some other kids. I had to show where this mm -hmm. came from. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so hopefully, you know, the folks listening are not going to have to do that, but there's always the potential to have to know you did what you did. Well, you need to know why you did what you did, but to defend why you did right. what you did. And that, that always takes us back to authoritative sources. And, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. You have to read the guidelines. You have to be able to quote something. And, and I always tell my providers, if you've, if, if you've been taught that that is clinical standard, then just give me a quote, you know, AMA publication XYZ or, you know, APA, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, third quarter publication stated this advice for uh, assigning this diagnosis or AHA, um, you know, give me something to work with. Otherwise, mm -hmm. 
remember that your neurosurgeon uh, colleagues, they're not processing claims for you. No, they're not so, processing claims and they're not, they're not going to help you pay that money back when somebody comes to take it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's and really I, what we're talking about is the business part of medicine. And that's what we use the codes for is for reimbursement purposes. And, you know, we have to be careful. We have to be careful with our Medicare money. We have to be careful with our premium money. I mean, I don't know about you, Kim, and, and I don't mean, mean to go off on a shoebox, but I noticed that the more people that are now have access to health care, the premiums have gone up for health care <laughs> to cover the cost of those folks getting health care. And, and I'm glad they do. I'm not complaining by no means. And, and um, but I think we have to remember that, that if we're not, if we have people that are maybe not coded properly, mm -hmm. that are misrepresented with diagnosis that are not necessarily supported through the guidelines or through other authoritative sources, you know, that's going to end up with costs, costs mm -hmm. that bring up the prices of a lot of things. Well, and, and there's that aspect of the money, and that's probably the bigger pot and the bigger things we think about. But you've probably noticed the last, I don't know, two, three years, we've gotten a lot of codes for things that are very, whether whether we call them orphan diseases or whether we, however we talk about those, we have codes for things and we're so focused on, or I shouldn't say we, I sometimes so focused on making sure I have the right code to get that claim paid. I forget there are other uses mm -hmm. for the ICD-10 codes. How do we know how many people have this disease and how much money should be allocated to research for this disease if we don't quantify that disease? Um, so there's there's that aspect as well. And that you may think, oh, that's OK. I don't know anybody with that disease. Well, let your grandmother get it or your granddaughter or your somebody. And right. it's like, oh, you know, we want all the research possible. And we just, you know, I keep I keep going back. We want the patient to have the accurate story. We want to be able to look and see and, and you know. And you've probably done this too. When somebody says, well, Christine, what do you do for a living? You have to explain what codes are. Well, there's a code for what's done. There's a code for why it's done. And then when we're telling physicians, again, I'm older than you are. Um, I remember when there were words on claims. We had codes, but we had words as well. And they actually looked at the words. There's no words anymore on the bottom half of that claim. No. And so if we don't have that code, we don't have the we don't, we're not telling the whole story for lots of reasons, for all the, yeah. all the different reasons we've kind of talked about. So. Absolutely. And, but, you know, on the other hand, I see that there are more and more people that are going to school to learn coding. Mm -hmm. They're going to, they're, they're becoming certified through national organizations to prove that they understand the concepts of coding. I don't know about you, but when I teach and, and I get lots of questions, well, is that going to be on the test? And that's I say, listen, the test is to, make sure that you understand the concepts or the guidelines or the responsibility in coding. It's not that you can open the book and find I-10. It's about what do you do when it's associated with another condition and where do you look for that and how do you sequence that and what's that documentation need to show you to make that relationship happen there? Mm -hmm. That's what the question wants to know. Not about I-10. No, exactly. And I don't know if you've seen this lately, but I'm getting calls and emails from former students or clients where the payer is denying a diagnosis code or saying it's mm -hmm. inappropriate. And when I go look and I go, well, they're right. Well, how do you know that? Well, I went to the guidelines. So I'm finding, and it used to be that, uh, that the payers 
didn't necessarily seem to know the guidelines and the all like mm -hmm. like we did. I'm finding it's the other way around sometimes now where the payers are on top of it. Um, yeah. And whether it's to save money, you know, ultimately or not, they know the guidelines. Um, I had a pain management client that she says, Kim, I can't find anywhere. I've looked all over the Medicare website. Why this code is not correct. And I said, did you try looking it up again and looking at the guidelines? Yeah, that's where it is. Oh, my goodness. I forgot all about that. I'm using my cheat sheet. Now, it's to sit in court and have to defend what is this? It's called a, oh, wait a minute. Nobody <laughs> wants to be in that position, right? Um, no, but another thing that I tell people when, when they're starting to ask those types of questions, I got this denied, I got this denied. Um, they're saying it's not medically necessary or it's investigational or it's experimental. And I'll say, do you know that there are literally thousands of codes in ICD-10 that cannot be primary codes? And many of those codes don't start with a Z. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they'll go, what? Mm -hmm. And I have a, a presentation that I do on denial management. And I show them a wheel of codes that do not support first listed or primary diagnosis codes. Right. Or we find that um, on the claim, they are assigning A, B, C, and D to every line of business. What, regardless of whether or not that, that A, B, C, or D diagnosis code supports the procedure that was done. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not assigning the right diagnosis pointer to mm -hmm. the right diagnosis. And that's going to make a difference too. Uh, like you were saying earlier, there were, there's, we used to get paid for procedure codes for whatever diagnosis you would put down. But nowadays, the insurance companies are sticking to their guns. We mm -hmm. said these are the diagnoses that support medical necessity. If right. you don't have this diagnosis here, or if it's not presented the proper way, right, code first, or use an additional code to support other, mm -hmm. um, then they're going to deny those claims. Right. You know, it, and I know we're focusing on the guidelines, but like the excludes notes, you know, mm -hmm. we, and, and yes, those are all in there in an encoder if you look for them, right. but they just don't come up. So oftentimes we're using an encoder just like we would use just the index. You know, that's kind of the, it, <laughs> it works that same way. And we're not looking at that. Like you said, the use additional code, the code mm -hmm. first, and, and just the remembrance of, you know, which comes first. And of course, I think we've kind of focused on the chapter specific guidelines um, mm -hmm. in our discussion so far, but we've got those other, those other guidelines, the, yeah. um, and then the guidelines for the outpatient, we've got all those that, that we just have to stay on top of to know, you know, the excludes one excludes two. What are those conventions when it says use additional code? How do you know which one comes first? Well, it tells additional. you. Yeah. <laughs> Or, and code first, or, hello, um, code oh, also, yeah, um, it, it just, and, and I get it, I was, I, I told you earlier, I didn't even have both pieces of the book, I started in this field when you had to buy yeah. the book separately, I only had half the book, but plus, I was just handed a book and said, here, use it, I was not told anything, so I think we do have the benefit now of having mm -hmm. those guidelines online, um, mm -hmm. searchable, and you know, if you're using a book, which, yes, please, um, if you're using a book, then um, you've got them there. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, we had the issue of where the previous, the guidelines were updated so late that the printers didn't get them in time. You remember that? I remember so, that year. 
So, it, but this year we hadn't had that problem again. So no. this year we have the guidelines. We have the guidelines way before we get the book. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. And most definitely. And another reason I, I like to get them, download them from the CDC website is you can easily see what's changed. You can see the highlights. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The bolded text. So, um, you know, to stay on top of it, but, and, and you've probably done the same thing. I tell everybody every year, October 1st, every year, April 1st now too, mm -hmm. look up every code again. Yeah. You know, we're not going to call it a cheat sheet. What do you call it there? You told me, I can't remember. We call, it, call it a resource, a, a resource tool, a resource tool. Mm -hmm. um, I loved that. I kind of <laughs> started throwing that around. Um, those are great. They're time savers. And they are. Let's, I mean, face it, coders in many cases are under production standards. They've got to get this many claims out. and But they're only good depending on the accuracy. Exactly. And so you have to make that conscious effort that at least twice a year before mm -hmm. October 1st and before April 1st, that you're going to go through and see how to update your reference tool. Right. Exactly. It's only as good as your data is. Um I, I think I've shared with my friends before, but I had this happen way back in 2008 when um, the practice management software that I was using, they were charging us every year to update the ICD-9 codes. Now, there weren't a lot of changes to ICD-9 every year. It was, you know, a few, usually less than 100. And the amount of money they wanted to update the software was ridiculous in my opinion. So I chose not to update the software. Also did not think that I was gonna have any changes to my codes because I was working with specific specialties that just didn't really get a lot of mm -hmm. change. Um, boy, was I wrong. So that year, I think it was 2008, um, in November, I get a letter from Medicare and it says, Christine, you sent us 150 claims for constipation. And that code had been revised to a five-digit code from a four-digit code. And we want to know why you wasted our time and money processing <sighs> all these claims. I know, and it was a, it was a, a little harsh, but, yeah. you know, I needed it. And, um, and, and so from then on, I, it was my goal and my mission to always look mm -hmm. at the new codes that are coming out and they're coming around. And not just look at the new codes, but get to know those codes, mm -hmm. get to know what they mean. What does, what does a, a, a hemolytic uric syndrome mean? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. And, but and we're look every year and we're enough of geeks about it. Um, I, <laughs> you don't mind me calling you a geek. Not at um, all. I'm not on the clinical side. I dropped out of pre-med. I decided, and I still, I don't want to see pictures of it. I don't want to do it, but I'm really interested in it. And I, and, and the best place to get that information we were talking about is in the proposals every year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know that, you know, things are not ever going to go back to the pre-COVID. I wanted to go to Baltimore to attend one of those meetings in person, you know. And then, of course, now we can watch them live yeah. on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we can read the details of why we needed this code. And we learned so much about the disease processes. Yes, I will say absolutely. that sometimes, yeah, I will say that sometimes... I regret not focusing on that back when I was teaching coding, not focusing on, hey, guys, you've got to learn about this pathophysiology, the fancy mm -hmm. word for you know, how things work. Um, we just have to focus more on that. And I think, you know, and I know we're talking about ICD-10, but I think it dovetails into the, the new evaluation and management structure. I love the marriage. Mm -hmm. when the, as far as the problem complexity and diagnosis exactly. coding, 
I think that is the perfect marriage. Mm -hmm. And and exactly. And it makes us better, more well-rounded coders, uh, coding professionals. But you got to understand, and, and so the basis of it is understanding that pathophysiology. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, mm -hmm. then we'll have to go to the ICD-10 guidelines to get that correct. Um, but that's going to help us understand that, you know, complexity of the problem. So it's funny that we're talking about that. I know that we'd mentioned before um, the clinical misconception of chronic and, mm -hmm. and that to kind of wrap up our our talk on the guidelines, especially in the neuro section, that's one of the things that they mention a couple of times is chronic. When does something become chronic? And clinically, there are some, some key points when something becomes chronic, but from a coding perspective, coders can't apply that same knowledge of chronic. So you can't tell me that if something is there for three months, then it's no. It's when the provider uses the word chronic, when they mm -hmm. have determined that that sinusitis is just not going away. And that's mm -hmm. going to be part of what we treat on a regular basis for this right. patient. Um, and same thing with the pain or chronic pain syndrome, whereas all those other little tiny signs and symptoms that together they make that syndrome mm -hmm. that um, we need to remember that that's going to be told to us by the provider. Mm -hmm. And and again, looking in context, because chronic, so for the new chronic pain management codes, mm -hmm. it is three months. That's that expectation. Um, but again, we can't take that and go, oh, we saw they first had a visit for this three months ago. Oh, we're going to go there. Yeah, exactly. They've got to right. say it. We can't we can't make up it and we can't we can't not take the definition in one area and plug it over here in this other area that's that is priceless information mm -hmm. you can't pull it from one hour area and plug it into another area to make it fit mm -hmm. um exactly. i tried that when i was a teenager in high school and my parents were real quick to let me know that no the liberties that you have in one area do not extend <laughs> into another area yeah i think i had three weeks to think about that one time <laughs> Well, Kim, our time is already up. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me today and, and talking. And I want to let everyone know that if you have any questions about what we talked about today, please reach out to Kim. She is an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, I, I met Kim face to face this year. We'd talked before. We'd known each other, but face to face on Cruising with the Coder. So I want to invite all of you to look into Cruising with the Coder. We had a wonderful eight-day cruise where three days of the cruise was a conference. We talked about um, coding, all the coding updates that came about, ENM, ICD-10, CPT coding updates. We also talked about all CDI, CDI mm -hmm. when it comes to selecting diagnosis codes. And Kim is a genius when it comes to that. Um, and then we also did some hands-on coding. So we were looking at Mohs surgery. We were looking mm -hmm. at different coding scenarios and how you would come to those determinations, whether it needed a modifier or how many units something would require. It was incredible. Um, there are a limited amount of cabins available for this coming year. Mm -hmm. This year, we're going to be on the Carnival Mardi Gras. Yes. I'm so excited. Yes. It's a beautiful boat. We we actually saw the Mardi Gras as we were pulling out of port, mm -hmm. and it was unbelievable. Uh, so for those of you that need CEUs, and you love cruising, and you love exotic destinations, 
I think this year we're going to Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and to the Grand Turks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I want you all to reach out to Don the Cruiser. He is the (laughs) one who is coordinating all of the bookings for the cruise. Make sure you secure your seat. And we look forward to seeing you guys there. We're going to have a ball. That's going to be a lot of fun. Christine made it so much fun this year. This was my, this is our 16th year. So we're looking forward to um, Christine joining us. That's going to be so much fun. Absolutely. I cannot wait. Thanks again for coming on the show today, Kim. Enjoyed it. Thanks. And I will be seeing you soon. I think you and I are, we've got a couple of other things going on this year, don't we? I'll see you in a couple of weeks, I think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. We'll be out in California together at the Healthcare Compliance Association. Two East Coast girls out there. Yeah. Yes. It's going to be great. Thanks a lot, Kim. Thank you. you, And I'll see everyone else in two weeks. Thanks for watching. 